1 Peter chapter 1, if you'll open your Bibles there, and we'll continue in our study this morning through the epistle of 1 Peter. We're going to be in verses 16 through 21 today. 13 through 21, sorry. All right. So for the past couple of weeks, as we're going here through 1 Peter in chapter 1, we've been looking at the implications of the inheritance that we have as Christians in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter says that we have been begotten again. We've been born again into a living hope. He says that our inheritance, it's incorruptible. He says it's undefiled. He says our inheritance never fades away. Uh, And not only that, Peter adds that God the Father in the person and work of Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope. Um, In other words, we have not only an inheritance for the future, which we do, but we also have a living hope that transforms our life here and now. He describes that living hope in Acts chapter 3 as uh, that which brings times of refreshing into our lives. The psalmist said, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Uh, and, you know, you ever been out to eat, you know, and you, you get something and just this, this week, you know, order something and you take a bite and you're like, oh my gosh, you have to taste this, you know, and you, get, you give your wife a bite and you, know, you got to taste this. And, and I, inevitably my wife will say, you got to taste what I've got. And I don't want to taste what she got because I know I'm not going to like what I got anymore after I taste hers, you know. And the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is what Peter's saying. He's saying, We've got, we have this living hope, and it brings times of refreshing. And, and for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, we know what those times of refreshing are all about. And we know how this living hope that we have received, it's not just some abstract thing that we're hoping we might attain yet sometime in the future or something that we, hope we'll, we can hope for in the future. It, it is... But it's so much more than that. It transforms our life here and now. Really, you know, our inheritance, it is rich, it is transforming, it is enduring, and it answers really the three questions that have plagued mankind throughout the ages. Those three questions being, where do I come from, why am I here, and and where am I going? And and what Peter says, where where do we come from? He says, listen, we come from God. God's our Father, and He's begotten us to a living hope. The question, man, why are we here? Well, Peter would say, we're here to glorify and magnify God. He says, listen, when we really get a grasp of our inheritance, the result is that we're going to live lives of praise. He uses the word, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, he uses the word eulogize to describe how how we worship the Lord. Uh, Literally, that word meaning to extol, to magnify, or to proclaim God's goodness. The idea being that when truly you have comprehended the inheritance that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ, given to you by God the Father, that you are going to extol, you're going to magnify the Lord. You're going to magnify Him in the way that you live. You're going to magnify Him in the way that the things that you say. You're going to magnify Him in the things that you do. And and so Peter says, man, where do you come from? You come from God. Why are we here? We're here to worship and glorify the Lord. And the third big question that plagues mankind that really Peter answers here is, where are we going? Well, he says, ultimately, those who are born again, those who are begotten again, we're going to heaven. 
He says that ultimately we will receive the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now, if you're here last week, we considered the sacrifices that others have made for us to receive this inheritance, for us to have this inheritance that's been given to us that means so much to us. Obviously, the greatest sacrifice was made by God the Father in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Pastor Cody quoted it in his announcements, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And God gives us a picture of what that entails. And again, I, I say this frequently, but it's, the gospel is so monumental, and it is so huge, and it is so awesome, and the, the, the great crime is that when we hear it often, <coughs> excuse me, we become callous to it. It's just something that we hear frequently, and so it's like, you know, it loses its power. But God gives us this picture of just the sacrifice that he made. Uh, Well, you know, we see it in Abraham. Here Abraham, he's got this intense desire that God would give him a son. God finally blesses him with his son. His son means everything to him, and God tells him at one point, all right, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And he takes him up and he sets him on the altar. And he is prepared in the worship of the Lord to sacrifice his son to the Lord. And at the last minute, the Lord would stop him. But even that, it helps us. It puts us in a human perspective on what it is because God did sacrifice his only son for us. And so the great sacrifice, man, is that God has given to us Jesus Christ who who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, Mark 10, 45 says. And so we, we, we see this great sacrifice that's been made. Not only that, but Peter talks about here in 1 in Peter chapter 1, and we looked at it last week, that the, in addition to the sacrifice that God has made through his son, that the prophets who have come before us, they have made profound sacrifices as well. Peter says that the prophets were not ministering to themselves, but to us. And that word ministering, we looked at that last week, and we saw that literally uh, it's, it's the word deacon, it's, the, it's one who serves. And we saw that the, the big idea was that the prophets, they weren't serving themselves, they were serving us. And to, again, to, to give that context and meaning, we looked at what the writer of Hebrews, who I think is the Apostle Paul, had to say about the prophets, where he, t- he tells us, you know, in, in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews, that the prophets were tortured, that they were flogged, that they were chained, that they were put in prison, that they were stoned to death, that they were sawn in two. We know the prophet Isaiah, sawn in two with a wood saw, you know, for worshiping the Lord and for, for daring to be used by the Lord to, to put pen to paper to, to give to us the, the prophecies from, from, from the Lord. And so we see these, these prophets, they, they're put to death by the sword, they're destitute, they're persecuted, they're mistreated, Paul says. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And he says the world was not worthy of them. And again, what Peter says here in, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1 is that it was to us that they were ministering these things. Now, again, the obvious implication for us is one of sacrifice. 
And it begs the question that if so many have sacrificed for us, starting with God the Father who sacrificed his only son, and and extending to the prophets who sacrificed their lives for our benefit, and it extends to those that aren't recorded in the pages of Scripture, but they're recorded on the pages of your heart, those who have sacrificed to minister the gospel to you. Maybe you're praying mom. Maybe your friend who never gave up on you. Maybe you're praying spouse. But you know that person that made sacrifices for you. That person who today is making sacrifices for you. And it begs the question that if, that if they were willing to sacrifice for us, then am I willing and available to sacrifice for the Lord? And with that in mind, that sacrifices were made for us by Jesus Christ and by others, and that we ourselves now have the responsibility to sacrifice, we're going to build on last week's point. Last week's point number one, and our only point of the message, was that a sacrifice has been made for us. We continue today with the second point, which is that a sacred trust has been given to us. Not only has a sacrifice been made for us, but a sacred trust has been given to us. 1 Peter chapter 1, we'll pick it up where we left off, verse 13. Peter says, therefore, 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 because God and the prophets sacrificed for us, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now that word holy used four times in two verses is kind of important. You might want to just pick one of those four words, holy. You might want to circle it. Nearby, you write this word, write separated, because that's literally what that word means. Separated. The idea being that we are to be separated from sin and consecrated to God. A sacrifice has been made for us, and a sacred trust has been given to us. That sacred trust folks, is that we are to be separated from sin and consecrated to God as followers of the Lord. Now, I'm going to put this on the screen for you, but I want you to turn there because I have you maybe make some, some notes in your Bible if you're, if you're given to that. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Romans chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 together. Actually, one, one, two together. Here's what Paul writes to the Romans. Romans 12, 1. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, that word present, and you may have already have this notes in your Bible if you're with us when we were going through the book of Romans, but that word present, literally, it means to set near. It means to set near. Now, uh, I, I, I give you an example of that. I'll take my, my cup, you know, bottle of water here. 
I'll have couples that'll come to the church uh, that are, they want to get married. And, and if they're smart, they'll get pre-marriage counseling. When they come in to see us for pre-marriage counseling, our job as pastors is to try and talk them out of it. <laughs> I used to have a secretary. She's like, go ahead, get married. Why should you be happy? You know? And, uh, but no, our job really is to get that person to get to the place. Cause you know, they come to the couples come to see me and they're just oh so much in love. They just cannot wait to, you know, to get married. And, and the gal, man, she's got the ring on her finger. She's been waiting for that ring on her finger. She don't want to give that ring on her finger back. It's like, you know, we're, we're, we're golden here. So what I will do is, is I'll take, I'll take some sort of an object and I'll tell them, listen, I know you've got an incredible desire to be married. You've, you've, found, you've found each other. You, you, you've bonied up the money to buy her a nice ring and you got the ring on your finger and you're all into this. And Okay, that's awesome. But what I want you to consider is as much as you want this, does God want this? Is this the Lord's will for you? And so what I, what I do is I say, listen, I imagine that this bottle of water is the embodiment of your intense desires to marry this person. Just, just imagine this is, you know, that treasure that you're, that you're holding on to that we've got a, I got a ring and a date, man. Don't Jack, don't get in the middle of that. You know, I want this, you know? And, and so imagine this is that. And what I want you to do is I want you to set it at the Lord's feet and I want you to let go of it. And I want you to completely give over to the Lord whether or not he wants to give that to you. And so what you're doing is you're taking what is your greatest hope and you're setting it near God and you're taking your hands off it. And you're saying, there it is, God, It belongs to you. I give it to you. And now if you want me to have this, then Lord, you give it back to me. And so when we get to Romans 12, 1, and we consider, hey, listen, by the mercies of God, brethren, present your bodies, set near your bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. Set that thing there. Take your hands off it. And and this is the idea. As we consider that a sacred trust has been given to us, that sacred trust is you as a Christian will live a life that's separated from the world, a life that is set near to God, and and, and a, a life that just says, Lord, I belong to you. Now, the truth is many of us claim to be Christians, but we don't set our lives near to God. We present our bodies to other things, don't we? We profess faith and we present our bodies to the bar. Or we present our bodies to that man who is, you know, your functional savior. Because you wrap your life around a man and you'll do anything, you'll make any sacrifice for that man, don't leave me. And so you'll compromise to say, I I, I want this relationship more than anything else in the world and I'll compromise everything in my life and wink, wink, God will forgive me for it. Or just, I don't want to think about that right now. 
And so we'll present our bodies to, to so many other things rather than setting them near to God and saying, Lord, my life is yours. I'm setting my, my life near to you. I'm taking hands off it. I'm saying, here is my life, Lord. Nothing held back, nothing reserved. And this is the sacred trust that has been given to us. And will you notice that Paul says that this is reasonable? He says to set your life near to God, to take your hands off it and to say, your God, I'm not, everything I am, everything I have belongs to you. He says it's reasonable that we should present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because Jesus Christ presented his body as a sacrifice for us. And so it's reasonable that we should live in this way. And that's Peter's point. In verses 15 and 16, we're going to stay here in Romans, but his point in in verses 15 and 16, hey, listen, you, just as he who called you is holy, you also need to be holy in all of your conduct. You need to be separated in your conduct. This is the idea that Peter's conveying here. Now, Paul continues, as as we're still here in Romans 12, in verse 2, and he says this, and he says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this word conformed, you, you probably have heard this if you've been through the book of Romans, if you went through the book of Romans with us. That word conformed, it means don't let the world press you into its mold. That's what that means. And there is no shortage of full court press of the world to press you into its mold, isn't there? And so what happens is, man, we, we live lives that we say one thing and we do another. And so everything that I say I believe, well, the way I live my life makes, makes me a liar, right? I'm not separated. I am pressed into the mold of the world and it shows in the fact that, man, you know, I could have been involved in a Bible study this week, but I didn't give my time to a Bible study this week. I gave my time to going to Club Silk this week. I didn't give my time to to being involved in, you know, being a godly man and drawing near to the Lord in whatever way that he's called me to. Man, I gave my time and my energy and my attention and my finances to happy hour with the guys down at the bar or to, you know, going down to Pechanga and, and, and gambling on, you know, what, what's there or whatever the case may be. And, and, and it's not, sometimes not even that dramatic in terms of, you know, gross sin, you know, our being pressed into the world's mold sometimes can be that, that my, you know, I take a good thing and I turn it into a God thing, and that's when it becomes an idol. And, and then I blend in just like the rest of the world where, you know, it's not, hey, I'm not going to the bar, I'm not going to happy hour, I'm not doing this, that, yeah, but I'm spending all my waking hours out on the golf course or building my car or whatever it is, and that gets my energies, that gets my love, that gets my focus, that gets my attention, and my children are neglected, my wife is neglected, my relationship with the Lord is neglected. I'm not living a life that's separated to God. Now, just a real quick thing, it's not in my notes, but I, I need to say it. What I'm not talking about when I talk about living a life separated to God is that you are living in a bubble where you've completely isolated yourself from the world where the outside world looks at you and you're a freak, 
right? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a life that is so completely compromised that nobody can distinguish you at all from the world that's around you. And and so, you know, we are called to be in the world. We're just not supposed to be of the world. And, And so there needs to be that aspect of your life that isn't afraid to actually be salt and light and be an ambassador of Christ in a dark world and going into places where you cannot compromise and you can be strong and you can be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And and so we're not talking about, you know, hey, you need to separate yourself so that, you know, you're completely living in the Christian bubble. We're not talking about that. But Paul says, listen, you need to present your body as a living sacrifice that's wholly acceptable to the Lord. He says it's reasonable because Jesus Christ presented his body as a sacrifice for us. And he says, look, you're not supposed to be pressed into the, the mold of the world. You're not to be conformed to this world. But what's he say? He says you're to be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we had this weekend the marriage retreat, and it was awesome. And uh, something completely unexpected, but, uh, but the first night, Saturday night, um, we had a couple that had come there, uh, Gisela and Andy Brochet. They came. Now, they, 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 they called me up. Uh, my secretary called me and said, hey, you know, they've asked, can they renew their wedding vows at the retreat? And, uh, and so just hearing their story, I'm like, I called them up. I said, listen, can you guys give your testimony in front of everybody? And can I renew your, your wedding vows, you know, in front of everybody? At first, they're like, oh, no, you know, I'll just do that private. But then they thought about it, and they prayed about it, and they said, yeah, absolutely. So I had them get up on Saturday. I had them share their testimony. And, and I'll give you the Reader's Digest version, but basically what happened was married, going through intense conflict, intense struggle, and so they end up separating. He ends up taking his ring off, not wearing his ring, getting involved in another relationship, and just saying the marriage is over. And, and really, to hear them tell the story, what happened was there was no difference between how they were living and how they were going through the trials than the rest of the world. They were, they were being conformed to this world. They were being, letting the world press it into its mold. And so there was no, transi- no transformation in their life at all. And what happened was Gisela started coming to church here. And a couple of you godly women began to rally around her, began to just pour the love of Christ into her. She began to grow in the knowledge and the image of the Lord as she, as she had what happened in her life. Well, she had the renewing of her mind that Paul talks about, the transformation that comes from the renewing of her mind. What was the ultimate cause of this? The word of God and the love of his people. And so Gisela began to change. Well... Andy saw that Gisela was changing. And so even though very still reluctant on his part, he reluctantly came to church two weeks ago. And as he came to church, the love of the body of Christ, the people who welcomed him in, and the power of the word of God just completely rocked his world. And immediately after, he sat in the back of the service, he crying, you know, a big baby. No, he's just, <laughs> but just the Lord ministering to Andy's heart. And he goes back and he signs up for the marriage retreat. They come to the marriage retreat. They give their testimony at the marriage retreat. And at the conclusion of it, we renewed their vows right there. Nobody knew it was coming. And he said, I haven't worn my ring for 10 months. 
and he, through the course of reaffirming his vows, placed his, Gisela's ring on her finger, she placed his ring on his finger. They committed themselves in marriage. Now, there is a couple who has been conformed, but they were transformed. And how were they transformed? They were transformed by the renewing of their minds. And the point of application for us is that, man, it is so important. You guys are here, and I'm preaching to the choir in the sense that you're here, but it is so important if we are going to experience this transformation in our life. If we are going to fully understand and appreciate that not only has a great sacrifice been made for us, but that a sacred trust has been given to us. That sacred trust is that you would live a life that's separated unto God. And the only way that's going to happen is if your mind is transformed and renewed. And the only way that your mind is going to be transformed and renewed is when the body of Christ gets together and the word of God is taught and you give yourself over to, Lord, I am here. My Bible is open. My heart is open and I'm ready to receive from you. I've got pen in hand. Lord, how would you speak to me in my life? How can I go out these doors and put feet on my faith? We pray it every week. It's not words. How can I live out my faith to bring you glory and honor? And Lord, what new things in my life can I trust you with? Because I don't know if you guys have realized it, but life isn't all puppy dogs and butterflies, is it? It's not, you know, there, you come out the door and I'm ready for the day and wham! You know, it, you know you, we're constantly rocked. We're constantly shaken. And what God wants to do is he wants to take you through these trials. And this is what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look, it's through the molding and shaping and transition of trials that God is going to form you as, as, as a follower of his, as a child of his. He chastens, the, chastens those he calls his sons. He prunes those who are bearing fruit to bear more fruit. And so this is the process that we're in. A sacrifice has been made for us, and a sacred trust has been given to us. Now, we'll dig deeper into this next week, but it's important that our takeaway today is to say, man, I need to be an active participant in the body of Christ. I need to be an active participant in my faith. It's not something that's just going to happen. Man, I, I, there, is, there is a work that is involved in it. This is why, back here in First Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 13, this is why Peter says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Now, you know, this is a, a picture here. What would happen is, you know, those guys in, in that day, they would wear sort of a long and sort of flowing kind of attire. And when you're going to fight, you had to sort of cinch it up so that it didn't trip you up when you ran, gird up the loins, right? And he's saying, he's using that as this picture, like, look, if you're going to go in and fight, you know, you got to sort of dress for it. You got to prepare for it so you're not tripping over yourself. And, and this is what he's saying, you need to gird up the loins of your mind and you, and you need to be sober. You know, we t- talked about this at, at the, the marriage retreat, you know, that, that we're called to, to uh, you know, be very careful with, with how we walk. See, then that you walk circumspectly, 
Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. It's the same idea. But you need to be very careful that I'm going to walk very carefully. That word circumspectly. Just to put a picture on it, it's the picture of walking from one side of a, of a cow pasture to another side of a cow pasture and bare feet. You're going to walk very circumspectly. Because you want to see, you don't want to step in it. And this is the idea. Right? And some, and gosh, that right there. I mean, gee whiz. I... I'd be very tactful about this, but there are so many people who live their lives. Just keep that in your mind, that image. There's so many people who live their lives, you know, just as though they're walking in a cow pasture and bare feet, and they're just like, this is the life I live. And then, oh, how did, oh, how did I step in that? Because well, you're an idiot. You're just walking around. You're not walking. You're not watching what you're doing. Right? Pastor Ted just called me an idiot. No, I'm an you know. We, the, no temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man, right? We all fall into various temptations and trials, but God is faithful. He doesn't allow you to be tempted, but he gives you a way of escape. And so the person who's mindful of saying, I need to walk with the Lord, I need to honor the Lord, I need to glorify the Lord, then I got to understand, not only has the sacrifice been made for me, and I can't just glibly do, oh, thanks for the sacrifice. No, a sacred trust has been given to me, and I need to live a life that's separated unto the Lord. Verse 17, we continue. And so Peter says, And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Now, that word fear is very important. It speaks of a reverential fear. We're not talking about being fearful of God, being afraid of God. We're talking about a reverential fear. Growing up, I had a friend in Torrance who, whose father used to beat him. And he was afraid of his dad. And, and, I, and I never vividly remember one day something, you know, happened and his dad came driving up in the car and he rolled down his window and he called the guy's name and he said, get home. And the kid peed his pants right in front of me because his dad used to beat him. Now, this is not what Peter's talking about here. He's not talking about being, being fearful of God in a way that I'm afraid of him. What he's talking about is a, a sacred and a reverential Fear. Why? Well, we continue. Verse 18. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct uh, received by traditions from your fathers. He says, no, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, that word precious there, if you want to circle it, nearby you could write the word costly. That's literally what that word means. Several years ago, my friend Paul, a member of our church here, he, um, he, he, had a, he has a Corvette. And um, several years ago, um, he, he took me for a ride in the Corvette. And he let me drive it. And, uh, and he, you know, and this thing was a rocket, man. And he, and he's, he's, he says, you know, get on it, man. And, and so, you know, I, I gas it a little bit. Now you can tell, you know, when you're driving a car and you know what it's got, right? And so I, I start to, to gas this thing. I start to get on it. And, uh, and I, I reached a point where I'm like, I was, I was fearful. And I was, and I, and I'll tell you, I wasn't afraid of the car. Here's what I was fearful of. This car is a costly car. And I was acutely aware that, man, I could easily wrap this thing around a pole. 
I could easily kill somebody else on the road in this car. I could easily get to a speed in this car where I'm not getting a ticket. I'm going to jail in this car. I was, I was very fearful of the car. My, my fear, though, it wasn't because I was afraid of the car. My fear came because I knew how costly the car was. And this is Peter's idea here, this, this idea of this sacred trust being given to us. He's like, look, this, you need to conduct yourself in this way with this, this fearful attitude of the sacred trust that's been given to you because this thing don't belong to you, man. You're driving something that belongs to somebody else. Your life belongs to God. And you will give an account for how you've lived your life. And so I ask you the question as you consider today your life and where you're at and and how it is that you're living your life. Are you prepared to give an account on the day you will stand before the Lord who has the pink slip to your life, who paid for your life? That's the idea here. That your life cost God the Father his only son that it cost Jesus Christ the very life that he gave in his blood shed on the cross. That your life cost the shed blood of the prophets who went before you. Not only that, we have another reason to be fearful of the sacred trust that the Lord has given to us as we continue in verse 20. He says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and who gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now in verse 20, you see that that, that he says that uh, it was manifest in these last times. You see that in these last times? Here's what he's talking about. The last times here, it speaks of the very brief period of history, listen, in which you and I live today. There is this unique brief window of history that we live in where Jesus Christ is going to come back at any minute. And I ask you the question, number one, do you believe it? And number two, if you believe it, then, okay, so what if he comes back right now? Are you ready to stand before him? Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, Because he is coming back at an hour you don't expect. Since all of these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy? There's the word. And this is the big idea of our text today. This this life that is set apart, holy, conduct, and godliness. In other words, listen, guys, we are living on the Titanic. Do you know that? Do you realize that? You're living on the Titanic. 
And we've all heard and laughed at the saying, you know, you're the way that the, it's like, you know, rearranging the decks on the Titanic. Listen, many of us live lives that are just like that, where we're busy, you know, we don't just rearrange the furniture on the Titanic. I mean, we're ordering new furniture and patio sets to go on our Titanic. And we're investing long days and, and you know, just giving wholesale parts of our lives to something that's, that's going down, baby. I mean, it's, it's on its way out. And, 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 and so I ask you the question, because academically you're all with me, but why is it that we get it here and we don't get it here? Why is it that we get it here and we don't give it, get it here? Because what happens is we love the Titanic. We paint the Titanic. We live redecorating the Titanic. And it's sinking under our feet. And one day many will discover too late that they focused on the wrong things. That they trusted in the wrong things. That they gave their time and their money and their love to the wrong things. And I ask you this morning, are you giving your time to the wrong things? Are you giving your money to the wrong things? Are you giving your love to the wrong things? What are you trusting in? What are you focused on? Listen, Jim Elliott said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot gain, what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So we have received a sacred trust. We are to live holy lives. We are to live lives that are separated to God. And I ask you, is your life separated this morning? Holy life. You say, oh, holy life. Is that it? I just got to be holy. Got it. It's not that easy, is it? I mean, living a holy, I mean, think about that. Hey, you know what? You need to be holy. You're like, I quit. Right? Which is why we just close by going back up to verse 13. Because here's what Peter says. Look, you're in for a fight. This is what he says in verse 13. He said, look, you're in for a fight. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. But listen what he adds. And rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say rest your hope fully upon the fact that you can white knuckle it and be holy. You can just, you can do good and try harder and you can, you can make it right with God. No, this is what Peter says. And this is the point we close on. We need to be holy, which is a fight, but we need to rest in the grace of God. And it's just that perfect balance. And it starts with the, the mindset and the attitude that says, God the Father loves me, and he loves you. And and don't doubt that for a second. Because Satan works both sides of the fence. He tempts you, and then you sin, and he jumps over the other side of the fence, and he condemns you. Your flesh condemns you. Your conscience condemns you. I blew it. Yeah, we all do. But it is not a license to sin. We need to live our lives in a godly fear. Listen, this thing, God has the pink slip of my life. And it cost him a lot to redeem me. And so what is reasonable for me 
it's reasonable that I would live a separated life. That's holiness. Look, I can't do that because it doesn't honor my father. And so I'm going to abstain from that. I'm going to separate myself from that. And do we stumble and do we fall? Yeah, don't wink at it. But when that happens, where's your rest? It's in the grace of God. So the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, my friends, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And the Father loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you. And so wherever you're at today, as we close in prayer and we partake of the very symbols of the Father's sacrifice through his son on the cross today, wherever you're at, you can rest in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. Amen.